0: This is eSports Today
1: with Rob Zachney and Andrew
0: Gruen. Welcome to this edition of eSports Today for November 24th, 2015. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, alongside Andrew Gruen. On today's show, we discuss the League of Legends Silly Season and the new-look teams we saw at IEM San Jose.
2: Also at San Jose, Na'Vi make it to a CSGO final, and Fnatic and envious aren't there to
0: stop them. But first, we welcome Dota analyst and professor of economics, Alan Nahaz-Bester, to the show to discuss the Dota 2 Frankfurt Major, where we had a number of surprising storylines emerge over the course of the week. Alan, thanks for joining us.
1: Well, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it was a lot of fun in Frankfurt. Uh, Just a great event all around.
0: Yeah, and... Let's talk a little bit about that because you know I, I feel like for for years now people have been sort of clamoring for something to rally the Dota scene around besides the international, right? Because we've had that pattern for a while of you know everyone becomes a Dota fan for like six weeks out of the year, <laughs> and right, right. then they all kind of you know everyone kind of goes up goes their own their own directions and there's not there's not that big tentpole event uh do you feel do you feel like uh the the frankfurt major kind of answered that bell uh do you feel it succeeded on those terms
1: yeah absolutely i think the big concern it wasn't just uh, a lot of the fans i mean i think there was a lot of perception from a lot of people in the scene that that valve itself was very very involved in the pro dota 2 scene for about three months out of the year and then was <laughs> mostly absent for the other nine and I, I think the big concern other apart from that is whether or not so relatively soon after TI you you'd have the same kind of excitement and of course the same kind of compendium sales mm-hmm. and and certainly you know the event was i think a success on every level right so
2: what it, what it made us talk about a lot was was whether or not like maybe it's almost too much of a success because like we would watch things like MLG where it, you could just – there was just sort of like this this air ar- around it where you could tell that just like it, there was – it, it kind of like the air had kind of been let out of it and people were kind of practicing. Like maybe they were holding Exhibition back. Exhibition Dota. Yeah, they were maybe holding back a little bit because they knew there was this $3 million tournament coming up. So they weren't going to give away all their strategies for a $100,000 tournament. And I was curious what you thought about that did, did you get that same sense?
1: I really didn't. Uh, I think a lot of people had those concerns building up to to ESL and to MLG, but I I was at both of those events. I worked both. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that you're going to see happen, I've I've had this conversation with a lot of different people, that esports just moves so quickly. Mm -hmm. And teams are born, and, and they have their life cycles. It's like three months in Dota or in League are like, 2 years in a lot of <laughs> in a lot of conventional sports. Absolutely. And so these events like ESL and MLG have a lot of meaning for teams like OG that when you think about it, you know, MLG was one of their only events together at a LAN and that's a key event for them to be able to prepare and and they had a big series victory over EG and looked like the best team at the event in the first day and then came out flat and all of a sudden are out of the event against secret. So I thought that was a, that was a big and very important learning experience for that OG squad and really set up for, uh, for their success in Frankfurt.
0: You know, that's an interesting, uh, I think that's an interesting part, part of the Dota scene as, as well, because I, I think we, on the show we also follow league of legends and and CS:GO fairly closely. And it feels like Dota in particular is particularly volatile. Uh, yes. You know, when you talk about that three months, you know, three months like in Dota years, three months is is uh, two years, uh, and I definitely feel that's that's a bit unique to Dota, per, perhaps because like so many, like certainly like in League of Legends, they've tried to create sort of disincentives for people to like have a lot of upheaval in the scene, right? Like you get your you get your premier spot. And you want to keep it, and you don't want to jeopardize that, and everything's structured around this this yearly tournament. Dota it seems very much more. It seems like it encourages teams a lot more to sort of experiment uh, with, with different lineups and sort of create these like you know custom rosters for for one off events.
1: Well, I don't know that it's that it's as much that I think. Part of it is just that the meta, the meta game in Dota is is incredibly dynamic. The changes from patch to patch uh, tend to be very large, so you have you have a lot of natural volatility just built into the way the game is structured. But I think also when you're talking about the just huge disparity between the prize pools, you know, even when you're talking about events like MLG and ESL. Uh, versus a $3 million tournament and certainly mm-hmm. an $18 million tournament in TI. <laughs> you know, you see this a lot in other sports, that even relatively good teams, uh, when if the Miami Heat don't win a title with LeBron James and Dwyane Wade and Chris Bosh in their second or third year together, that team probably isn't together for longer than that three-year period. So, again, I think... In Doty, you're going to see a lot of this, especially over the first year or maybe 18 months that we have a major system, you're going to see a lot of teams get together and not quite reach that summit of success and and not stay together. That was the the big question, for example, that I had about Secret going into this tournament. I thought this Secret Squad, I was on record saying this at ESL, I thought this Secret Squad had as high a ceiling as the last Secret Squad did over the summer, maybe even a little higher. My -hmm. big question was, were they going to stay together long enough to reach that potential? And it looks like now they're going to.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And this is like something that has been kind of a recurring theme in the Dota world. We all kind of wonder about it because we have these sort of like grand experiments that we get to watch play out. So like one of the great examples is, uh, is Navi. They stuck together for a little while and they had a, a lot of success in a short period of time or in a long period of time, but then it's almost like they stuck together too long and now like that organization almost feels like kind of hobbled on their dota team at least and then on the flip side of that you have the exact opposite example where you have evil geniuses which wins the biggest prize pool in the world and all of a sudden starts tweaking with their roster right away and i and i think we're all kind of we were all kind of watching to see like how does how does uh did i say team secret or evil genius i meant to say evil genius yeah. okay so eg uh and we we're all kind of wa- uh, watching to see like how this tweaking of their lineup actually would go and i think we're all still kind of like wondering if that has paid off at this point we want like an we want like a verdict of of how that tweaking of their lineup is going to pay off but so far we've got like a lot of like third place finishes from them and i'm wondering from you like should we be in awe of evil genius's ability to still stay relevant and still be a third place or a top three finisher or we should should we be expecting more from them
1: Wow, that is kind of the question right now. I think Uh, that's a very difficult question for me to answer because I think uh, this this event for EG was a little bit different. In that, when I've seen EG stumble in the past, it's generally about they'll have one or two series where their drafts will not be as great. And Mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've been on record as saying that I think PPD is. Ah, uh, the best drafter in the game right now. and sure. I think he's up there. You know, right now, Puppy is pretty clearly the best captain that there's ever been in mm-hmm. dota. Um, just ahead of Zhao eight based on what he's done on in the last several months with this new secret squad. But I think as a pure drafter, I think PPD is about as as good as we're ever gonna see. Uh, still, they have series where their drafts maybe aren't as good. and the edges among top teams are very, very small right now. This was not about that, though. Uh, this was just about EG, and I thought a similar thing. By the way, happened to Vici Gaming when they lost to E-Home, uh mm-hmm. on the penultimate day of the event. I thought EG made some very eg like mistakes in both their series against Secret, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean that really that series against Secret and and of course against OG as well. They just had a bunch of situations where they had one kill turn into three or four. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's not EG Dota. That's not something that you really ever see from them. And I think going into the tournament, there was a lot of concern about the resource distribution among Sumail and Arteezy because obviously mm-hmm. these are two of, the, two of the best young players. Statistically, they're the top two players to ever play the game in terms of golden experience per minute, but they're players that, that require a lot of space. In very different ways, and the question is: you know, Universe of course is probably the best space creator in the game. Uh, Fear is probably the most versatile player that we've ever seen, and PPD of course brings a unique skill set to the table for reasons that we've already discussed. But the question is: we saw that essentially the same execution errors bite them against Secret and against OG. I thought both of those series really ought to have been two O's. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I I just um, I don't have a good answer for why exactly that happened. Yeah, absolutely. And and so like that kind
2: of raises an, another interesting question, but that I that I think about a lot when it comes to Dota, uh, which is you know which factor is is more important, and maybe it's maybe it fluctuates based on which which like phase of the metagame that we're in. But but which factor do you think is more important right now? Having that captain like a puppy or like a PPD uh, who who understands the meta, who understands like how this incredibly complex game actually fits together. Or is it that on field talent like Samail and Artizi?
1: Well, I don't, I don't think there, I, I don't think there it's a matter of either, or I, mm-hmm. I think you have to have both to be a top team right now. You, you absolutely must have a top tier drafter and you absolutely must have at least one or two players on your team that are just that are special. That are playing at a different level than everybody else, and and interestingly enough, for example, for OG, uh, a lot has been made of Miracle, and and he is as as high ceiling a player as there is right now in terms of what he has a chance to do in his career. But if you ask me, in terms of just what they did in Frankfurt, it was Moon and Kret that mm-hmm. were just the the absolute superstar performers. For that team, I thought i have been on record as saying I thought Crit was the MVP of that entire tournament. I don't think he had a bad game. And I think he delivered big plays in every single big match that they that they participated in.
2: Absolutely, and so for those of you who don't follow Dota uh, very closely, he's talking about the two support players uh, from OG who were just absolutely phenomenal the entire series, who were con- constantly setting up plays and just being active on the field and just doing more than they should have been expected to do.
1: Yeah, Moon, so technically Moon is the awful and and okay. Crit is their four-position support. Fly, <laughs> who's their drafter, is their five. But yeah, uh, close enough. And those two players just uh, – Moon had some bad games, uh, mm-hmm. but his, his good games were amazingly good. And I I thought all tournament long, you just saw huge plays being made from the four position. And that's something to me, as teams have really gelled and gotten better over the last couple of years. And I, I really do feel like the quality competition that we have in Pro Dota 2 right now is just so far beyond what we saw even 18 months ago. And one of the things that you're really seeing is that support play is just, it's such a focus. And Mm -hmm. it started really at TI4 with newbie and their early game support rotations. People people complain about that TI4 meta, about it being so death y (laughs) and about it being so push-oriented. But to me, there were some really good things that happened in that meta because the game was so focused on creating and leveraging an early advantage. You saw teams optimize their support play To an extent that I don't think we'd seen at the pro level before that. And that stayed around, even though some changes were made to the game so that you couldn't just run down one lane, take all the towers and kill racks at 20 Mm -hmm. minutes all the time. Those that optimization of the early game support play has really stayed around and had a profound impact on the game.
2: Absolutely, and so for those of you who who haven't been following, we didn't follow the tournament this weekend, we had uh, team a brand pretty much a brand new team, team OG uh, show up and kind of take the tournament away from a lot of big, heavy favorites like Team Secret, like Evil Geniuses, um, and so you kind of gained a reputation at this point for being like great with stats, uh, <laughs> and it seems to be something that like you really care about. You love uh, focusing on that part of the game, uh, and I was wondering like, were there any big like when you're looking at that like. Are there any big trends that popped out at you in terms of what was successful in this metagame?
1: Well, let me let me comment first of all on the OG run, sure, because uh, a lot of people will will look at what OG did and compare to what CDC did mm-hmm. at TI five. Who came into the tournament as uh, basically an in house league team out of China? Yeah, they were they were viewed as a pretty good team. They were a qualifier team. Uh, but they weren't viewed by many as a team that had a chance to do much in the in the tournament as a whole. And they obviously came away with with second place and really had a very real chance to beat EG in the finals. Mm-hmm. If you look at, so um, my good friend Knoxville, uh, Ben Steenheisen, who's uh, another Dota 2 statistician, he maintains and tracks a set of ELO power rankings for mm-hmm. teams. And if you look at from the beginning of TI5, To right before the grand final, where CDC were the top ELO team in the world at that point, uh, CDC's ELO increased by about 200 on a scale from where very good teams are usually on our scale, they're usually about 13 to 1500. Okay, the top teams are usually around Mm -hmm. 1500. So a 200 point increase is a very big deal. Right, right. Um, OG over the six day main event in Frankfurt increased by over 400 <laughs> they they went from the number 14 ranked team in the world to number one after the final I mean statistically what they did is is actually it's a whole nother level even compared to what CDC were able to accomplish at ti5 so I mean this is it is really one of the big Cinderella stories that I've seen recently in all of sports absolutely uh, what they were able to do
0: is there even an analogy for something like this? Like, is is this the equivalent of like, this is George Mason making the final
1: four. Okay. This is it. it, it, It's, (laughs) I guess, I guess that would have statistically been more unlikely, but this really is in terms of the probability of it happening. This is, it's not dissimilar from a VCU or a George Mason making the final four of the NCAA
0: tournament. So, uh, out of curiosity with, with OG, I have a couple questions. Like, is this a case where, okay, so that's a, that's a that's a meteor, that, that's an incredible rise. But is that a case where the team was just chronically underrated coming into the tournament? Uh like like basically like when you when you when you when you looked at them at the start of this tournament, like what were the foundations there? Could you could you recognize yes. the foundations of this being there? Yes.
1: The foundation look the the foundations were always there with this team. I think a lot of people uh I guess the biggest doubt were the biggest doubts going in were uh, how Miracle was going to respond because he's still a relatively new player to playing at this level, and, and how uh, how Johan, how No Tail would do in his tra- in his transition back to the mid role because of course he was a mid player and here's a New Earth, but his Pro Dota Two career had been mostly uh, at the four the four support position uh, with Fnatic. And with those teams. And I think those questions were answered relatively early on. Anybody that saw them play uh, both at MLG and in the European qualifiers, they were, they were pretty consistently the best team there in a very stacked European qualifier field. It was easily the best of the four regions. And so I think those questions were answered. But again, I also think going into that tournament that if you just use the eye test, e g and secret were playing so much better than everybody else, and maybe you put maybe you put Vichy gaming up on that level as well based on what they were doing and what I was hearing about how they were performing in scrims among the chinese teams so i I think it's a pretty clear matter of the ingredients were always there, but you never know whether those ingredients are going to come together within the context of a particular event yeah
2: that's i mean you talk about context and the ingredients coming together and that was one of the most interesting things to me because i would have looked at that lineup as someone who admittedly is like dota i love dota i've played a ton of it but it's like to understanding it at the pro level is such a daunting experience for me <laughs> that i don't even bother trying to make predictions anymore but i would have looked at that and i would have said well here we have a team that has fly and no tail who are veterans from the old fanatic squad and that fanatic squad never really made a huge impact in the pro scene they were they were usually like a like a top five or top six team but they were never really a team that came away with a lot of tournaments and so to see them go into a new organization and come away with totally different results and and have different players around them and have them become the top team in the world is is really really fascinating and speaks volumes to maybe how undervalued they were in their previous organization
1: well but this i think you could say the same thing about this secret squad Mm -hmm. as well where there are a lot of people that that doubted whether whether jackie mao whether eternal envy should be a player on a top five team. And there are a lot of, you talk about the questions about Miracle, same questions about Weha. Although I, I could have told you that, that that kid was going to be awfully special. Weha's incredible. Well, he just, you, you really, you have to spend five or 10 minutes just talking to the guy Mm, to appreciate what he's going to do because he's got, I think probably the best attitude of any young player that I've ever interacted with. he just, you know he wants so badly to be the best but he is willing to he's willing to be incredibly humble and to learn something each and every time he plays the game mm-hmm. and to me that's that's what you have to do in Dota you know my my favorite paraphrasing of joe paterno has always been you're either getting better or you're getting beat mm-hmm. and i think you ha- you have to have that attitude if you want to be a top 5 player and he has had that attitude very clearly from the first time that I met him earlier this year at MLG Columbus, he was there with Balkan bears and he was just clearly there to learn and to get better. And it was pretty clear. If you watched him play, he was already playing on a pretty darn high level, but he was 100% committed to getting better. I mean, I, I had to have a talk with him after, after ESL New York, because I just, I saw him at the after party, and he just he looked like somebody just kicked his dog.
0: Mm. And
1: I'm like, look, you just had a tournament where you were probably the best player here. You 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 need to you need to be a little happy about that. <laughs> and he's like, No, no, I'm not happy. I didn't play like I think I'm capable of playing. And I said, Look, that may be true, but you still competed in in one of your first events at this level in a stack field. And you look to me like the best player here. You got to learn to, you know, you got to learn to take some positives away from that. Yes, you can get better. And yes, you will get better. But, and that's the, and he responds so well to stuff like that. I mean, that, that to me, it's as much about personality as it is about ability when you start talking about what separates players at this level.
2: So, my final question that I have, uh, it has to do with China. Uh, and right. this, we, we talked, we you've mentioned China a couple of times, and you were clearly a little bit impressed by by certain teams in the Chinese field of teams that showed up at the fall major. But we saw, again, like kind of the same result as they had at the International Five, which is where there was, I think they had a fourth-place team and a fifth-place team, but nothing in the top three, no podium finish. And I'm wondering if you think, like, wait, is, is this wait, the wait, point?
1: Wait, 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 okay. What's Look. up? <laughs> Let me stop you for a minute because let's let's remember that that four out of the top five teams at TI five were from China. Oh did I mix that up? Yeah, they're, they're, oh, there's my a, goodness. there's a reason no 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 it's it's not just you mixing this up. <laughs> like it I'm I'm talking to a lot of people right now and it seems to me like everybody's mixing this up. like everybody's like, oh, Chinese dota is dead. I, I mean, there were out of the eight directly invited teams to Frankfurt. Four were from China, and there was a darn good reason for that. Okay, like they had four out of the top five teams at TI five. They obviously, you know, Vici Gaming has to be seriously disappointed with how they performed in that series against eHome. Okay, there's, there's, there's no, Mm -hmm. there's no second guessing that. And I think eHome is probably then. Disappointed with their showing against OG, although it was pretty clear that was a two. It was pretty clear that OG was the better team, but you know what? When, when you're talking about teams at this level, it's a, they're games of big plays and big mistakes. It's it's almost like NFL football that as, as much as these teams are so even and the, the games are so competitive. It's the one big interception that's going to decide the game. Mm -hmm. And Unfortunately, Vici against Ehome, and then Ehome against OG, had they just had bad plays, bad decisions at the wrong times in those games. And like I said earlier, I thought, for example, I thought each of EG's final two series in the tournament could easily, easily have been two O's. But that's a that's a good thing, like that. That is. Why I look at Pro Dota 2 right now and I say the level of play that we're that, that we're witnessing right now is absolutely unprecedented. In 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 the years that I've been watching the game, and again, I'm a relative newcomer. I've only been watching Dota for like four and a half years right now. But but the distinction between the level of play right now versus a year or 18 months ago is just is so ridiculous in terms of Of how many teams we're seeing right now playing on that elite level, and how many teams going into an event like Frankfurt have a legitimate shot to win. It's just, it is such a great time to be a fan of our game.
2: All right, thank you so much. Alan Haas Bester, uh one of the best Dota casters in the business. Uh, Rob and I have both just really loved listening to your casts so much. It's like there's such an enthusiasm and such a respect for the game uh in your cast and we just love doing it. Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Well, it's my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me in. And, and hey, uh thanks thanks okay. for thanks to all your listeners for for following Pro Dota. It's a it's a great game and I am very lucky to be a part of it.
0: The Dota 2 major wasn't the only major this weekend, as many of the world's top League of Legends and CSGO squads headed to San Jose this weekend for the IEM tournament there. Uh, Andrew, let's talk about uh, Counter-Strike first. It was kind of a smallish tournament, with at least two major teams missing from the equation. Uh, Envious canceled their participation following the tragic events in Paris, and Fnatic were never involved with this tournament. So, you know, with the, with the uh, you know, 800-pound gorillas out of the room, who impressed you at IEM? Uh, Well, for starters, I think this was a
2: really good opportunity for Team Solo mid because they needed to get kind of back into the finals for an event. This was a really good opportunity for them to do that. You know, there was a time... Maybe just a couple of months ago, when we would have placed Solo Mid as one of the top teams in the world, maybe even top three, uh, but they haven't really performed at that level. As it's been, you know, kind of as you said, envious and Fnatic that have basically stolen everything important, every every important tournament over the last couple of months. Uh,
0: so it's been certainly it's been their
2: awesome. Yeah, absolutely, and so it's, but it's been nice uh, to see Solo Mid kind of get a chance to stretch their legs again and get a shot at winning. Uh, but the obvious answer to that question though is it, who was more impressive? Was Navi? This was a team that, like you could really sense, was on the verge of something. Uh, I, I believe it was uh, DreamHack Napoka last month, uh, and they were like in the on the verge of breaking into that top four class of Counter Strike teams. Um, they finished second to Envious in that match, and it was like you know at that tournament you could clearly tell that they were just like tripping up just a little bit like they had this like a ton of raw talent but like they couldn't get the ball rolling at the pace that they needed and and these small mistakes kept getting in their way
0: well, and, and and you would certainly see that right like because that's where that was the in their final against uh envious you know they had that really strong showing uh on train but once they lost that you could sort of tell they were on tilt from the moment that that first map ended, right? right. right. They were like, well, that was our best shot, so time of the time to roll up like a carpet. Right. It's almost like you could tell it's a confidence issue
2: for them. And then, and then having that opportunity to go and put up a good shot against Envious in a final kind of like bolstered their confidence in a certain way. And they were able to come into this tournament and actually win something for once, which is like... It's really nice to see them kind of solve those issues and come away with a premier tournament. You know, it's not a major uh, in the Counter Strike scene, uh, but it's still a pretty big deal. And, you know, hopefully they can take this forward and win another tournament where all of the big names are in attendance.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it, it has to be said that Team Liquid also had a surprisingly decent showing yeah. this weekend. Uh, you know, they absolutely gutted uh, Virtus Pro. Uh, Their first map on Overpass was one of the most savage, like, (laughs) Counter-Strike beatdowns I've seen this year. Uh, To the point where it's one of those things where it starts to bother you as you're seeing it. Because it doesn't... It doesn't feel right. It doesn't make (laughs) sense, right? Like, if if it were a multiplayer match, this is where, like, somebody starts spamming chat with, like, hacks or something (laughs) like that. Uh, Because it, it just... Because because Virtus Pro have consistently been in the mix. Like yeah, they're not at that sort of elite tier we've talked about a lot, but they're constantly threatening to to break in. Right, they're one mm-hmm. of those teams that like are always there, keeping the better teams uh, honest. And if they stumble a little bit, Virtus Pro uh, will steal a victory, like they did uh, in Dubai. So you know, he's watching that first map where Virtus Pro, I, I think maybe got two rounds, maybe three. Uh, out of the out of the entire uh, out of the entire map uh it was just it it it, yeah. it it didn't feel right, especially because team liquid have not been the American squad to watch no. right like it was it was cloud nine's year this was cloud nine's like breakout year, and yeah, they faded a little bit down the stretch, but team liquid, you know certainly as far as long as we've been doing this show, hasn't really been a part of the discussion
2: well you know i i will say that i think that If there was going to be a round in which Team Liquid could pull off an upset, it was going to be round one. Because Counter-Strike is such a game about like knowing what your team is going to do before they do it and setting up these sort of counter-strats or anti-strats, as Joe Wong uh, of Team Liquid, uh, fancily enough, of Team Liquid described it to us in an earlier segment a few weeks back. Uh, But And so if Team Liquid knew they were going to play against... Um, Virtus pro and they had a chance to, to really study them and get inside their heads it just means that they showed up and maybe they didn't have the same level of like raw skill that they did but maybe it even didn't even matter because they were able to just n- anticipate their movements like you had kind of said earlier
0: yeah i think you know it, it could be certainly sometimes you see the less skilled team really excel at like defensive positional play and mm-hmm. uh, that's definitely what was happening like uh liquid basically won that i think on the basically on the on the counter uh, the ct side of the uh, side of the map And, you know, what they were doing is they were just taking these positions and versus pro, they were just having one of those rounds. And it's just weird to see it happen on a pro level uh, because it's something that happens to me when I play like competitive shooters. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you don't see pros have that sort of round where just like, you know, every time you like round a corner, you're in someone's crosshairs and the shots are already on their way. And that was happening again and again to BP. Uh, just liquid had the right position anticipated everything perfectly and and vp never really got got on their feet uh you know so so team liquid won that first won that first round uh and they managed a decent showing in the in the uh in the tournament overall they they did not uh lose too badly to navi uh who eventually won the entire tournament so you know no uh you know, no disrespect for losing losing the tournament winner, and you know overall, I think you'd have to say this was this was a really encouraging weekend uh, for Liquid CS:GO to to put on a good showing, uh, you know, in front of the, in front of a home crowd.
2: Right, you know, we're always looking for that North American hope in in Counter Strike, because everything's pretty much centralized over in Europe. Uh, but yeah, over in uh, League of Legends, uh, we had some interesting news drop as we got the relatively shocking revelation that the fanatic squad that Rob uh, has been raving about in this show so many times is essentially breaking up as two of their star players, uh, have apparently agreed to switch leagues from the European LCS to come over to the North American LCS. Uh, and so, like, we don't know what team has courted them or what's going exactly is going on with these two incredibly talented players. Uh, you know, like, Rob, what, do you have any idea what's going on here? And how is, like, the league world reacting to such a big move?
0: Uh, yeah, you know, I said at the, at the top of the show, that this is the League of Legends silly season, and that's that's a term I borrow from Formula One racing. Uh, but it's it's that time, like late in the season, when for a lot of people competition is basically over, right? Like you know, and and in League right now, certainly we've already had the we've already had the global championship, so literally the the season is over, uh, and everyone is just trying to secure the best deal for next year. And uh, you know, I think really this is the time of year when you see competitors sort of trying to. You know, you're weighing competi- like competitive quality versus money, right? A lot of times, those things can be intention. Uh, do you want to? Do you want to try to win a turn? Do you want to try to win major tournaments, or do you want to? You know, sort of get paid what you're worth. And those two things can sometimes pull in opposite directions. And I think that's probably what happened uh with, with Fnatic here a little bit. Um, I'm not sure what Fnatic's budget is like, I suspect. And certainly I've seen uh people who I who I suspect do know better than I, uh like you know, like Rod Breslau. Uh, on Twitter uh, saying that like the budgets generally for for any for North American teams are higher than a lot of their European counterparts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that sort of gels with what made this Fnatic squad special. Uh, Fanatic had a great season this year in part because they scouted fresh talent better than anybody mm-hmm. else in Europe. When everyone else was sort of competing for you know older established Korean names, who guys who were basically on their way down and you know were were playing abroad because they couldn't quite hack it in Korea anymore, uh, you know, Fnatic were the team that tried to seek out rookie talent, unproven talent, and in the case of Huni, what they found was someone who wasn't well known, uh, whose best shot for this year in Korea was probably going to play on someone's uh, practice or support squad and not get any like start you know starting lineup positions. Uh so of course it makes sense for him. You could you could pay him uh a you know pretty a, a pretty low rate and you 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 get a player who's who's worth way more than that. Uh because to an extent like Hooney was playing for exposure, right? Uh and he got it. He was he was rookie of the year. Uh, you know, he's he had he had a really breakout season, and uh, he and Rainover were sort of demonstrated to be a really nicely matched set. And uh you know, I think I I, I really think this is just a case where you know, like, they were with Fnatic because they were making a name for themselves. Now they've made that name, and I suspect they're they're cashing in on it a little. Now, you asked about the reactions, uh, and it is interesting because I think a lot of people... I, I've talked about this before, but a lot of times people want their League of Legends teams, and maybe their esports teams in general, to be groups of super friends. And Mm -hmm. they want it, you know what I mean? Like, you you also live the fantasy vicariously through your favorite team. Oh, they're not just, they're not just like, you know, esports guys, but they're like a bunch of buddies who all play together and they, and they get along. Right, right, right. And that can sometimes, that sometimes causes problems when people make really self-interested decisions. And I think there's a lot of people who are frustrated because you're leaving Fnatic, a team which is pretty professional, does a lot of things Right. And you're heading to a North American region where, you know, drama tends to be the order of the day. Uh, there's a lot right, more yeah, of a absolutely. cult of celebrity. And, uh, you know, again, it's a region that kind of embarrasses itself on a global stage every year. Uh, and so there is a bit of a sense of, like, you know, well, you guys, you guys aren't doing it for the love of the game. You're not being serious players. You're, you're leaving your good team and, and, and your friends sure. to go compete in NA for more money. Uh, but, you know, but at the same time, though, got to get paid man yeah absolutely and in north america there there
2: really is a, a hell of a lot more opportunity to make money not just off of your salary but in terms of like there are just more people who are invested in that cult of personality which leads to more stream dollars it means leads to more advertising dollars as well uh so you mentioned that 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 silly season uh the, this this stage between d- between the points that actually matter in the league of legends season uh you know how did that theme kind of tie into the IEM tournament this weekend
0: well, you know, I think you can you can start just by looking at the final result. Uh Origin just absolutely waltzed through this tournament and what do you know? Uh they're the one team at IEM San Jose that's been able to avoid a lot of this roster drama. Uh so while every other team is is being substantially rebuilt, uh Origin have been able to be pretty stable. Uh and you know, they they're playing to get they're playing against a lot of teams that you know, and this is why you can't read that much into this tournament result. Origin won a tournament that was attended by a Chinese LGD team uh, that's basically in the late stages of Meltdown. Uh, LGD, <laughs> right? yep. uh, their entire strategy has basically been discredited uh, here at the end of the year. Uh, I don't, I, I still don't understand what happened with this team, how they went from being such a strong team in a great region like China uh, to having such a bad uh, autumn, but this was kind of the swan song for a pretty disappointing year. But then the, the other competition they're facing, uh, you know, at this tournament, is a, a Counter Logic team that's had some major changes hit it. Uh, as it's longtime AD carry uh double lift has gone over to team solo mid uh which which is by the way just an amazing like if you want to talk about like what fans are not handling well or like creating <laughs> drama like this is one of the great like sports betrayals right like this is the league oh, of yeah. legends equivalent of like when the browns like when the cleveland browns left uh cleveland and went to baltimore to become the ravens like it is right that, like the whole team yeah it is it is just like it is it is that <laughs> level of like emotional, how could, how could you do that? And fair, uh, you get it right because double lift and CLG are synonymous. Like absolutely, CLG strategy for years, their their competitive strategy has been protect right. the double lift right
2: and it's not and it's not just about the team or the team that he's associated with but like double lift is like you talk about cult of personality double lift is one of those people Like you, you you'll you see him at something like the penny arcade expo with like a literal entourage or just people he doesn't even know just follow like 30 of them just following him around wherever he goes like this guy is a legitimate superstar
0: yeah and uh so he's so his departure from clg has left that team in a really strange place because uh, you, you basically changed the culture of that team overnight uh and then he's he's very new to team Solomid who are also basically being uh, substantially rebuilt uh following massive uh you know off-season changes so i mean these are brand new teams who are who are coming coming to terms with their new rosters will any of this matter come the spring on uh, the start of the 2016 season i kind of suspect not i i, I don't even think origins advantage will will endure cuz you know as these rosters get set uh, the one thing you have to acknowledge is a lot of teams are getting a lot of strong talent, and new blood, uh, injected into them, give them a few months and they could be playing a lot better than you ever saw them play in 2015.
2: Right. Well, you talk about new talent and and kind of like before we move on. I have to ask we've talked a couple of times in the past about how like the aging captain of team origin XPK this vaunted legendary player XPK uh and we've wondered if it was wise to build around but to build a new team around this like aging star and now it seems like origin actually agreed because at this IEM tournament origin went out and picked up this young phenom by the name of power of evil uh, which is a great esports name uh and he's 18 years old to replace uh Ex-Pake in the mid lane it's like what do you think about that what does that mean for for origin
0: yeah well you know the thing is remember like origin and xPk are, are basically synonymous like this is this is the team he picked this is i think or like x peke is part of that generation that is starting to die off in league of legends like i, I it, w- it was basically him double lift dyrus and uh mm-hmm. and yellow star who were sort of left yeah. from the first generation of stars still playing at high level competitively uh and the, what I'm hearing, at least, is that Yellowstar might be a little burned out over a fanatic. And it could be that x is also recognizing that that his time is, is coming to an end. I don't know if he's formally said anything about stepping down, but certainly the fact that they recruited Power of Evil uh, and sort of put him in the lineup for, for the entire tournament. Now, ideally, this is a perfect opportunity to test a new guy out. This is a tournament that doesn't yes. mean anything. Very good. Point. Uh, Spring training. The other thing is that, you know, we saw what uh, SK did this year, which is they basically ran two different mid laners, and it could be Origin are thinking they can do the same. I am not sure that x time is really done. Uh, you know, Taylor, Taylor Cock was on the show a little while, while ago talking about how x just turns into a different player on the important stages. and yeah, Absolutely. I'm not sure that's something that you can really replace. And if he still got the ability to turn it on, and it, he certainly did at Worlds this year, um, you know, it could be this is just a, a way to get a little bit of a break and fewer reps each season. But we'll see if you you know we'll see who he, who they play uh, for the, for the big games. Right, he's a wily veteran, and uh,
2: he's only going to get more wily with age as he starts to to grow those gray hairs in his mustache. <laughs> All right. But, uh, but that's all we've got for esports today. And now we turn our attention to esports tomorrow. Uh, next week, we've got the Face It 2015 Season 3 Finals in Counter-Strike Global Offensive, which is an kind of a surprisingly important tournament. Uh, it doesn't sound like it with the name of it, but, but it's a $250,000 prize pool. Uh, one of the biggest tournaments at the end of the year in this December as we wrap up 2015 in Counter-Strike Global Offensive. Uh, and we'll also be tuning into the first ever StarCraft II Legacy of the Void tournament and DreamHack Sweden, which Rob and I are just super excited about because it just it promises to be completely fascinating. As we'll get to see pro level Legacy of the Void strategies for the very first time.
0: Oh man, I need the, I need the sweet strats in my game too. <laughs> uh, anyway that concludes this week's edition of esports today and idle thumbs network podcast produced by michael hermes you can learn more about the show and discuss this episode and esports in general with our community at esports.today uh, by the way thanks for your patience with our lack of a show last week uh, i had to undergo a minor but surprisingly disruptive surgery and we weren't able to work around it like i hoped we'd be able to uh, so apologize for the radio silence last week uh, i was really high on pain medications and hopefully you won't <laughs> hold it against us
2: uh, it's just good to have you back, Rob. Really, it is. Uh, so we also really enjoy getting your questions uh, and would love to get more of them. Uh, we really enjoyed answering your questions the other week. Uh, so please email us at questions at esports.today. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at es 2 podcast. If you've enjoyed esports today so far and you have a few spare minutes, you can really help us out by leaving a review on, iPhone, I, on iTunes Excuse me, and
0: telling your esports buddies about But us. also leave that review on iPhones as well. Uh, it sounds really <laughs> promising. <laughs> so be, be sure... <laughs> Be sure to get to open up your iPhone's account and give us a positive rating. We, we, we're, we're ecumenical in our, uh, in our podcast distribution networks. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week to discuss the past, present, and future of esports. Uh, for Andrew Gruen, this is Rob Zachney signing off. I, I, I thought about like, just ignoring it and letting you fix it, but it was so good, though. iPhone's. <laughs> it was too good.